Welcome back to another episode of Contramundum. Uh, I am Andrew Isker, and with me is CJ Engel. Um, and how are you today, CJ? What is new? What's happening? Uh, nothing's happening. Nothing's new. It's uh, more relaxed uh, for this month because I am done with my summer push at work. And so I've been spending more time on Twitter <laughs> talking about very important issues like um, the crisis in Silicon wedding rings yes uh, very important yes this is the controversy of the moment and i'm in i'm here for it so yeah yeah you can you could all check that out uh cj is waging a one-man war on on uh the low what, what how would you how would you put it i mean obviously like you know you're kind of trolling you're trying to get jimmy's rustled uh with this but you know i think you're, you're making a point about how i mean it, it's it's well just the, yeah. the general lessening of of standards of, of culturally and you it's know, really and things it's like really that. it's really just like analogous to when um tucker carlson was was railing on uh dry uh drywall you know oh yeah that's right, that's right. i'm never gonna live in a house with drywall yeah, it's like the same yeah. thing and then people and then like just classic like um evangelical twitter just just poured in talking about how I was making up sins, you know, and stuff like yeah, just yeah. out of nowhere. And so then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with this one. This is, this is going to yeah. be way more fun. So <laughs> yeah. we, we went with the, uh, anyone wearing a Silicon Apple watch is living in sin. They need to repent. So it got, it got fun. Oh, I don't know what you're, yeah. Uh-oh. But no, it's, it's hilarious. You know, um, people, have a hard time with any kind of cultural criticism when it's like stuff that they do. Like, especially if you, if you attack, you know, liking NFL football, you know, or, or you make fun of the normie that loves, loves football and wa wants to grill. It's like, it's a personal attack on me. And I, you're saying I'm sinning. And it's like, no, it's not, it's not a sin. It's saying it's, it's well, criticism of broader culture. I don't um, think, I don't think, um, evangelicals, um, have a category for that type of argument they can't really think in like meta terms yeah you know they can only think of individual in individual terms yeah so there's my individual standing yeah there's a, there's a historical reason for that for sure um but anyways you know a, a uh an, an interesting observation turned into um just an, a, a great money-making opportunity elon musk is paying me big bucks <laughs> to dunk on the silicone industry so no, it's great. You know, I had I had a, I had a a post that uh, also uh, uh, took off this week where I I just I I gave um, you know kind of a basic um, understanding of you know New Testament theology as it pertains to uh, Jews today. That in my my view is 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 largely that um, you know rooted in you know Galatians chapter three and Galatians chapter four that that the promises to Israel, to all these promises of the old covenant are, uh, are, are in Christ. They belong to Christians. They belong to those who are, have, are of the faith of Abraham and not of Abraham's blood. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people didn't like to hear that because there's a lot of, um, of, of really, and, and largely because of dispensational theology, right? This um, really, bizarre misunderstanding of what what jews and judaism is today um and so that yeah that one went crazy that one got me uh 
uh, quoted in the Jerusalem Post. So, you know, yeah, pray that uh, pray that some, you know, Israelis see that and they they look into the Bible a little bit into the New Testament and and ask some questions. Um, but that's yeah, we've had a lot of fun online in the last week, but uh, um, we only we only made it last week halfway through that Anton article. And so I wanted to get back to that because uh, we didn't really get to the even to the meat of it. We got to um, what is unprecedented about our situation in America, right? Um, all of the things that are not analogous to Rome and to the collapse and fall of the Roman Empire. But we didn't we didn't get it to the part where he says, okay, what does it mean for us now? Where do we go from here? Um, what does the future look like for us? And I, I think that's like the best part of the article. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, if you want to, if you want to get rolling on that, if you want to read, you know, continue reading, doing our book report on, uh, Michael Anton's article, uh, go, go right ahead. Let's do it. All right. So now we're down in tyranny old and new, and here we go. Tyrants or ruling classes that despoil their countries for personal gain are nothing new. If that were all we had today, our situation would be much more understandable. And we do in part have that. Our ruling class is rich and rapacious, rich because rapacious, and eager to be richer still by taking what little you have left. Yet elite enthusiasms extend well beyond mere greed. There is a malice in them, atypical to the native despot, one found historically only or largely among the most punitive conquerors. A tyrant fears a healthy population, to be sure, because such is always a threat to his power. This fear typically inspires little beyond efforts to ensure that the population is dependent and unarmed. Two aims of our overlords, it need hardly be added. But our elites also go much further. They seem determined to make the American population fat, weak, ugly, lethargic, drug-addled, screen-addicted, and hypersexualized. The men effeminate, the women masculine. Those last two actually barely scratch the surface of the agenda, which includes turning males into females and vice versa, or into any one of a potentially infinite number of genders. The number varies depending on which source you check. 63 is the highest I could find. Needless to say, no establishment source stops at two. (laughs) The regime promotes every imaginable historic form of degeneracy and then invents new ones undreamt of by Caligula, the Borg- uh, is it the Borges, the or Catherine Borges. the Great? Yeah, no. or Catherine the Great. All these it pushes through every available media channel, social and, and legacy, in programming and advertising alike, even in books stocked in elementary school libraries. As I write, the Virginia governor's race is being roiled by the presence in said libraries of Gender Queer, a memoir, an illustrated children's book as sexually explicit as 1970s hardcore pornography and arguably illegal to boot since it depicts minors. One candidate for governor and his supporters indignantly insist that this kind of material must be forced on your kids at public expense and that only Nazis object. Degeneracy in tyrants is, of course, as old as the hills, but prior despots had the decency, if one could call it that, to restrict their perversions to the satisfaction of their own private pleasures. To force degeneracy on the whole of society with the explicit intent of bringing the rest of us to our knees, literally and figuratively, that, I think, has never happened before. Uh, the, the culture war is an interesting aspect because um, I think a lot of people just have this instinct that it's just this organic result of people living in sin. You know, mm-hmm. we've, we've sort of lost our way, and so the culture is spinning out of control. 
I think uh, Anton recognizes here something that I've come to believe, which is that this is intentional and it's meant to demoralize yeah. and, and divide. And you can't have a sustainable culture or a civilization if the culture itself is, um, I don't want to say rotting because rotting sounds organic and natural. It's yeah. being set aflame. It's being, yeah. it's being, um, you know, it's being completely disseminated. In yeah, it's, it's being mutilated, right? It's, it's like they're, they're, they're tearing it apart purposely. Yeah. I mean, this, this is, you know, it's, it's funny. Like he writes that that second paragraph or third paragraph in this, in this section is, you know, where it says they just seem determined to make the American population fat, weak, ugly, lethargic, drug addicted, screen addicted, and so forth. Um, right. I mean, well, that's, yeah, that's basically what I write about in my book. Right. Um, it, it's all the, all that same stuff is purposeful. It's intentional. They, and the culture war things, the pushing of, of, you know, pornography and in elementary school libraries and, and sexualizing little children and, and pushing transgenderism on them. That is, that's not, you're right. It's not organic. It's not like, Oh, this is just the inexorable process of a society that decays into sin because mm -hmm. you know, you don't have that. These are unprecedented things in the same way. You don't have these even non-Christian or apostate places Right, that reject Christianity, reject the the truth of in God's word, and 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 so forth. They don't uh, devolve into that kind of stuff. There, there, there's certainly a sin, and it rises, and it and there's societal decay and and, and crime and all, all of these different problems. Um, but it, it doesn't reach this level unless someone is striving it, unless someone wants to produce these results, because um, the you know, if we think about it, like just like the natural man, right, even in his sin, still still wants peace and order and stability, right? You have like ancient paganism, they had societies that were able to function, mm -hmm. right? They had societies where there was where there was something, you know, very close to marriage that we have today um, that existed, right? Because it, it promoted the societal stability. You wanted you wanted families, you wanted children to be raised by, by their, by their mother and father. And, um, because even like he says, even, even tyrants, right. Even, even people with a tremendous amount of political power that, uh, wield it with an iron fist, even those people still want a society that functions because without that, they don't have power, right? They, they, like if you are, you know, he brings up Caligula or the Borgias. Um, if you if you are those people, you want the society to exist. I mean, and he I think he brings up the Borgias because that's you know he, he's almost re referring to Machiavelli, right? That's who Machiavelli is writing his book about is is uh, Cesare Borgia, um, and he's 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 explaining like this is this is how they operate. This is how. Um, a tyrant comes in, like, you know, you read Machiavelli and he talks about like conquering a foreign people and you have to be extremely brutal with them in order to pacify them. And that's what our leaders are doing to our own people, um, to, to their own society, right? Mm -hmm. Because, and I think largely because they view it as an alien one, they view it as one that is not theirs. They view it as one that needs to be destroyed and, and overturned. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so it's, it's. And, that, and that's not normal. Like that's not common. That is, I mean, the closest thing you can, as far as an historical analogy you can make is like the Bolshevik revolution. Yeah. And, and 1920s, uh, Germany. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I know. And and it's like, there is nothing, there's nothing else like even remotely close to it. And even, even like people want to, um, you know, make the comparison to, to Weimar and to, to 1920s Germany. And, and I don't even think that fits because the crazy stuff, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. The first transgender clinic was in Berlin and like the books that were being burned were actually like, like trans books and, and porn and, and things like that. Um, but that was largely very isolated, right? It was just Berlin. It was just in the seediest parts of Berlin. It wasn't yeah, so not the entire country of Germany. I, I think I think the strategies are are really similar, intentional, and politically driven. But we have better mechanisms of dissemination. So, like yeah. be, because we have the internet, because we have advanced digital technology, uh, that's why it's more widespread. And I think Anton makes this point actually. Yeah, he, you know, he talks about the function of technology. So we can yeah. keep going. Let's do that. Yep. But it's also true that our rulers advocate and celebrate careerism, consumerism, self-centeredness, casual sex, delayed marriage, let us say, non-fecund uh, couplings, and where and if all that fails, Wait, You small skipped families. the paragraph before that. That's important. Did I? That's important one. Yeah, an odd feature. Ah, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this paragraph, though, is only for our premium listeners. Yes. That's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, an odd feature of our time is the coupling of mass hypersexualization with mass barrenness. Some argue plausibly that the link is direct. Hypersexualization disconnected from procreation inevitably leads to fewer babies. The degree to which crashing fertility is simply an effect of modernity versus a deliberate plan by our rulers is an open question. It's a good question and people need to be asking that. Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, it is certainly true. That every economically and technologically developed society, regardless of region, culture, race, or religion, suffers from cratering birth rates. Yeah, let, let's let's pause there because I think we should talk about this for a second. Um, I mean, this leads into the immigration debate. Like, it's so um, both, to, yeah. to to me, the way I interpret this is if they if there is a political drive to limit the amount of natural children that people can be having they have like an open pathway to immigration as a, as sort of a necessary, uh, you know, stabilizer. Yeah. They, yeah. they can, they can drive the immigration debate just by the very fact of limiting natural birth development. Oh, we're not having kids. So we need to import, you know, 10 million third world people to mm -hmm. replace them. And that's, that's the argument. That's the argument they make. And, and, and my I, advice, I, my advice to fight back against this would of course be to avoid silicone. So that's right. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, it's, it's all connected. It's okay? all, it's all, it's all there. Um, the, yeah, the, some of it, you know, as far as the open question is, yeah, you see this and he, you know, Anton is right. You, you look across um, the entire world and every developed country mm -hmm. suffers from this. So you have, I mean, you have the same low level of birth rates in Iran Right, which is this very austere um, uh, Muslim country, you know that that uh, rest restricts women's rights and all of this kind of stuff, and yet their birth rate is—I I, I can't remember off the top of my head where it's at. It might be lower than than America's, than than the United States's. Um, it may not lower than most of Western Europe. But you, you see this and, and you understand like, well, okay, well, what is industrialization bring? It brings this level of material prosperity, uh, but it also brings, um, 
you know, access to economic productivity to women. And so women leave their traditional role in the household as being a mother and they go to the workplace and work. And so they, as a result, have fewer children, right? This is, this is something I, I brought up on, on, uh, on Twitter, uh, on the X and, um, you know, of course people freak out about that. It's like, no, I could work and, and to send my kids to daycare and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you, you have like two, maybe three kids tops when your great grandparents had eight or more and, and the population grew now it's shrinking because, and, and that's all, if you get married and have kids, like that's only half of people mm-hmm. that get married and have kids. The other half just never, never get married or get married and never have kids. Um, and, and that there are, there are economic and societal reasons, systematic ones that, that drive this. Um, I mean, you look today uh, at the average price of a home throughout the you know United States and it is, it's unaffordable for like, if, if I were, if I were 25 years old and recently married and starting a family, how would I, how would I afford to live? Right. How, how do I afford to um, live in a home? Like I, we were fortunate enough to buy our homes, our, our home here in 2018 when the interest rate was like 2% mm-hmm. and housing prices were like half of what they are today. Um, if, if you were trying to do that today, you, you can't, you can't mm-hmm. without uh, certainly on a single income, much less two, you, it's not possible. And so uh, people don't think about this. And this is stuff like, when is the last time you heard like evangelical Christian leaders or commentators talk about these issues? Like ever, yeah. never. They don't talk about it at all, mm-hmm. right? They'll, they'll, they'll. If they do talk about like birth rates and things like that, it's like, well, men need to man up. They just need to man up and go marry that that gal, marry the single mom in the church, and then uh, and go have a family. And it's like, you don't get it. You don't get the conditions that people are in. Um, and how how extremely difficult it is for people to live um, and and to to have families. And and so, I mean, it, it brings us back. I mean, we talked about this months and months ago on one of our first episodes, I think, that debate between Tucker Carlson and, and Ben Shapiro. Mm-hmm. Right. You remember that one? Um, and and Tucker's like, I don't if your economic system doesn't make it easier for my kids to get married and have families, then your economic system is garbage. I don't care if you what what you believe about the free market because whatever is it's not working it's it's not whatever it is and of course you know um to all the the libertarian purists it's not a free market that ben shapiro is is defending it's it's complete garbage and and so much of it is because of uh monetary policy right Mm -hmm. um they've they've destroyed the currency i mean right right now why why does stuff cost so much well what this week didn't they spend $275 billion in a single day mm-hmm. in one day? And that that's just like normal spending. It isn't yeah. like some extraordinary measure that they did. It was just, eh, that's what they spent. And, and you remember back to like the days of, of Obama when they passed like the stimulus package and that was like $800 billion. And there was a huge freak out for, about it as there should have been. And that's like almost half the way there in a single day, just normal spending. It's, yeah. it's absolutely insane. And then you talk about like Ukraine getting, um, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of aid and all the spending on top of it. Like it's, I, I think, you know, as we think in the, in the metal picture here, 
like this cannot continue on forever. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, it simply cannot. So something is going to pop and it's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And, and, but it, it has to, in order for things to normalize. Yeah. Um, but as it pertains to, to like birth rates and things like that, it's interesting. Like the only country that, that has like positive, fairly positive birth rates, I think they're at like 2.8 mm-hmm. is Israel. Right. Which is weird. You know, that's, <laughs> that's the only, and, and, and so it kind of, you know, they're kind of the outlier here. Uh, but I, I think because they, why is it? Well, cause they have a national identity, right? Right. right. <laughs> they're like, our nation needs to keep existing as a nation. And we want to, we need to have kids to do that. Um, and it, even though they're an industrialized country. And so I, I think it's, I, I think some of it too is it isn't just simply the, the process of history and what happens when you industrialize it's that um, this type of worldview or this type of, of mindset or thinking that, that comes in with industrialization um, causes a people to become deracinated and view their nation as an economic zone. And they have no sense of purpose whatsoever, right? When, when Americans were having children, they thought of themselves as a people. And said, we need to continue our people. Like you read the beginning of the United States Constitution, right? To secure these for our posterity. And like that, they thought about that kind of stuff. And we just think, oh, kids are a nice lifestyle choice, a nice lifestyle accessory, mm-hmm. right? Oh, if you want to have kids, that's cool. I don't want to have kids. I'm just going to play video games and, and collect Funko Pops, right? That's my lifestyle. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this that's is how they treat it, you know? This is a good topic because um, like... Hillary Clinton used to say that, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, you know, yeah. but, but oh, yeah. this is important because the response to the lefts, they want to, they want to capture the minds of all the kids, but yeah. the, the typical conservative response is that just to leave it up to individual lifestyles. And there's no, you know, there's no judgment. There's no collective meaning of uh, posterity. There's mm-hmm. no, you know, there's no future outlook on things. I think that we had the wrong approach to, the progressivization of youth minds. Oh, absolutely. We need to pursue a positive vision and capture their minds in our own way for our own objectives uh, for the sake of history in the future. So yeah, individualism is not the solution here at all. No, no, no. Uh, Collectivism is just, just kidding. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, yeah, I, I do believe in the, in the priority of collect, uh, you know, collectivity sometimes of of the people, right. Of, of your people as a whole. Yeah. but it takes individuals pursuing those goals together, right? It's sure. it's, bo- it's both and, and and that's that's where people have such a hard time uh, recognizing this. But now now you can read the paragraph you tried to read before. All right, let's do it. <clears throat> but it's also true that our rulers advocate and celebrate careerism, consumerism, self centeredness, casual sex, delayed marriage, let us say non fecund couplings, and where and if all that fails, small families for the environment. You understand. In other words, when and where the allegedly inexorable process of modernity is overcome by the innate human desire for love and family, the regime eagerly steps in with propaganda to bully men and women out of such longings. I suppose there is a near historical precedent for this, namely China's one-child policy in effect from 1980 to 2015. But that was implemented to relieve, it was thought, a looming Malthusian crisis, a fear that cannot reasonably apply to contemporary America, whose birth rate is 1.64 and falling like a stone. China itself, whose leaders want its people to live on, abandoned the policy. 
Meanwhile, America unofficially does everything it can to suppress native births. Has this ever happened before in a country not even plausibly facing a population crisis? The promotion of ugliness observes special, deserves special attention. The autocrats of old wanted to be known for their patronage of beauty, the arts, and great works. This is one meaning of Shelley's Ozymandias and also of uh, Augustus's boast that he found Rome a city of brick and left it a city of marble, to say nothing of having commissioned the Aeneid. A stroll through any city in Europe and in most of the Americas finds the same sentiment everywhere until about the middle of the 20th century when suddenly everything turned brutalist, brutally ugly, and not just the buildings, but the art, the literature, the music, almost everything, including the wedding rings. <laughs> You're not going to let that one go. No. I'm not, no. <laughs> one attempts to state the following as delicately as possible. Even though regime propaganda on this score is anything but delicate, but today the ugliness extends to people. One hesitates, man, this is so good. You're not allowed to say this in certain oh, circles, no. but okay. No, you're not. But uh, yeah, so it extends the pressure. One hesitates also to say anything that could be interpreted as praise of underwear ads, but within living memory, the sirens of Times Square billboards were lithe and lovely. Today, they are quite deliberately obese and angry. That is, when they're not cross-dressers or pierced like an East Village junkie and tattooed like a C-list porn star. All this we are commanded to believe is beautiful, though no healthy person does. The point seems to be humiliation. Exactly. Forcing us little people to say the thing which is not. The trick is also as old as the hills, but the deliberate promotion of ugliness seems to be a new way to play it. Antiquity abounded in wicked tyrants, yet try to find an ancient, an ancient statue anywhere near as hideous as modern lingerie model. This is actually an important point yeah, because extremely important. Um, people, people really don't know how to think like this. Like, because our, our stock response is it's all about the heart. The, the, <laughs> That's right. The exterior yeah. doesn't matter. They don't realize that out of the quality of the spirit flows, objective empirical, um, uh, you know, sites you have, yeah. you, you know, the body reflects the soul. You know, the building reflects the soul of the people. These are all things that the ancients and the classic uh, Christendom believe and taught for a thousand years is you need beauty. You know, uh, Roger Scruton was great on this. You know, we are mm -hmm. a demoralized people because we are subsumed in ugliness. Yeah, ab absolutely. Everywhere. And it and I mean, you see it. I mean, people, you know, people talk about physiognomy online and, and it's a it's it's always kind of funny. Um, but you, you see that, like, if you are, if you are unhealthy, if you are obese, if you are, if, if, if you've made yourself look ugly now, and that, that's where people like, they get, um, they get kind of up in arms. If you remark on, on physiognomy, right. If you have like the fat neck beard and you, you screenshot his, uh, his profile picture as a response to a dumb argument, uh, people don't like that. They, you're being mean. But it's but the, the the point is right. Everyone, you know, the the natural beauty that you have or don't have is is you know that's something God gives or doesn't give. But if you intentionally make yourself to be ugly, if you make yourself look more hideous, um, and and, and it's funny because like most most people, most most men, for example, for example, and and women, like we are normal looking, good looking, if if you're not a hundred pounds overweight. Right. And, and so if you, if you make yourself really fat, 
and you have all sorts of weird, you know, facial hair, not like a beautiful mustache, but just this, you know, neck beard and, and you, you know, you wear the, the flannel and the neck beard and you got the IPA in your hand. And it's like, that's, that's like the uniform of the bug man. Mm-hmm. And, um, out of, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, but out of, out of the heart, also your, 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 your body looks like you, you can judge books by their cover mm-hmm. and it, it is a tell of what you love, right? You love to consume. You love, you love this world if you look like you love it, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's the point. And, and you also see that not just with people's own, you know, physical bodies and what they've allowed their bodies to become, but also you, you see it in uh, the, the public art, which is all, all just, it's hideous. It's ugly. I mean, you, yeah. Uh, Roger Scruton um, has all sorts of stuff about this. I mean, this goes back throughout through the 20th century. You know, he talks about uh, what Marcel Duchamp, uh, the, the urinal, um, you know, that, that he presented a urinal in, mm-hmm. in this, in an art gallery and, Oh, isn't it so transgressive? Oh yeah. And it's like, no, it's, it's deliberately ugly and it's supposed to evoke revulsion. And that's the point to try to like, that's the only thing that gets people attention in art today is how do I make it more shocking and more ugly and more hideous and more revolting? Uh, not how can I capture beauty in a, in a, in a, in this transcendent sense that inspires awe. Right. That's that's traditionally what art did mm-hmm. and a good art did. Now it's 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 anti art. It's mm-hmm. it's to promote the opposite of that. Um, and you see that with architecture as well. And, and Tucker makes this point, you know, I think drawing up upon Scruton where um, all the time he's like, you look at you look at the buildings in, in our major cities and what people used to build were were buildings that you would are pleasant to drive by or walk by and see and be because they're they're not just they're not just buildings that have a functionality in this utilitarian purpose they're buildings that um they they uplift you they make you feel better about the place that you're living and the landscape that you see around you and they shape um, yeah they shape our minds you know yeah, and, and the whole reality that you're in yeah um and and so if you have something that's an intentionally ugly and of course the soviets did this is part of like all of the just like concrete buildings that that are just oppressive and make you feel like you're in prison. Well, that's what ours are too. It makes mm-hmm. you feel like you're locked in this this prison of hideousness, and and it 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 messes with your mind. It makes you it it, it makes you feel depressed and and anxious and and alone. And that's the point. That's the point of it. They want this, and it isn't. And it's funny, like all of this stuff. It isn't like there is some secret cabal of like four or five people that are pulling all the strings and saying, we're now we're going to make all the buildings ugly and we're going to make all the people fat. Um, it's, it's this like decentralized, you know, conspiracy. It's, it's like what, what Moldbug talks about where everybody knows their place in it and the, the agenda and the ideology they have to pursue, right? It is, it's unspoken. They don't need, nobody, no one has to tell, uh, you know, when you go to art school or architecture school, okay, now we're going to make everything as ugly as possible. Right. Um, right, because baked in the cake. Yeah, because like sociological developments are manifestations of spiritual conflict. That's why. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so, I mean, I think that uh, he's right to talk about humiliation. I think demoralization is another good word to add to what's happening here. Absolutely. Um, but a demoralized and a humiliated people are not willing to fight for themselves or their future. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Let's yeah. Let's continue okay, on here. Okay. The next one is is very spicy. 
But in terms, uh, I'm on the right paragraph, yes. But in terms of what we choose to elevate, nothing illustrates the perversity of present America more than the deification of George Floyd. There are now monuments to him all over the country that are treated as sacred. In a rare instance, when one is defaced, the resultant outcry resembles the Athenian people's reaction to the desecration of the Hermai. One may insist that George Floyd did not deserve to die the way he did and still see that neither did he live his life so as to make the possibility remote. He was convicted of eight crimes and charged with or detained for at least 19, though one must here concede the difficulty of finding reliable, relevant information since unflattering facts about George's or Floyd's life are effectively suppressed and are taboo to discuss. The worst of his crimes was an armed robbery in which he pointed a gun at the belly of a woman who may or may not have been pregnant. Floyd's admirers insist she wasn't, but more careful sources assert that no one has ever definitively proved she was. Floyd was the father of five children, from whose lives he was by all accounts absent, and none of whose mothers he ever married. At the time of his death, Floyd was in the process of being arrested for yet another crime, and was not cooperating with the arresting officers. A serial drug abuser, he had in his system not just methamphetamine, but a potentially lethal dose of fentanyl an extremely dangerous synthetic opioid, which may well have contributed to his death. Even if one fully accepts the, tr the trial court's findings that the drugs played no role, uh, which, by the way, has since been uh, corrected, he did die of overdose, <laughs> yeah, yeah. one must still admit that Floyd only uh, that had Floyd only gotten into the back of the police vehicle as officers instructed, he could not have died in the way prosecutors and the media alleged. Above all, we must confront the painful fact that Floyd did not, according to moral standards that for centuries were taken for granted, live a life worthy of admiration, much less veneration. Yet, our society treats him as a saint, if not something higher. The pagan gods were not always well-behaved, to say the least. But has any people ever chosen such an undeserving object of worship? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's um, a, a major point that... Nobody talks about it because you're you know you're not allowed to talk about it. It's that they they've deified this man. Yeah. Right. They're like they name streets after him. They name in schools after him. They put up these statues everywhere, and it's like this guy doesn't deserve by any any rational standard of of praise or admiration of of being praised. Right. This this total um. The, it's this total worship of victimhood, right? As its own, as its own thing. Well, it's the same. It's 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 the it's the worship not only of victimhood, but it's the worship of um, like decivilization, of ugliness, yeah. of all the things that he's been talking about. Yeah. This is literally he he for them is a model and an emblem of our affection because he represents all the trends that they've been facilitating for for decades. Yeah, and and it's like you. you I mean, you see this t just this week with. Um, the you know pro crime uh, podcaster in Brooklyn or, or or Manhattan or wherever he was in New York City, um, who was you know some guys like breaking into a car and he tries to go talk to him, mm -hmm. and then the guy the guy stabs him, uh, stabs him to death while his girlfriend just like stands there, yeah. and um and people are of course up in arms because uh, people on the right are saying well um you know uh life comes at you fast. Right. Uh, right. you know, or, or just like mocking his death. And, you know, ironically the people freaking out about that are the same ones who were gleeful about the death of Rush Limbaugh and, 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 you know, things like that want to 
you know, Kyle Rittenhouse to get the the chair and things like that. Um, and so, you know, it's, and, and you see, and then you, you find out like his friends get interviewed and it's like, no, he would want that guy to stab him. Right. He, he would understand why he did it because, well, because of all the racism he suffered and, and income inequality and, and all of these things, he probably had a good reason for stabbing my, like he would be on his side and the guy's girlfriend won't give the description to the police or cooperate with the investigation whatsoever uh, too. It's, it's, and it's so bizarre because they, they worship this, they worship crime and decay and, and, um, and societal, you know, destruction. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what these people worship. They love it. And like, there is no, with all of this, there, there's no fixing these people, right? There's no like, oh, we're going to have an argument and persuade them of our point of view. No, right. you aren't. Right. No, the only thing you could do is exercise power and destroy everything that they're trying to do. And either they get with the program and submit to power or they don't. Right. And like, it, that's, that's, I think the reality that like people that, that worship George Floyd, right. You're not going to be able to have like rational discourse and civil, you know, this civil society will share a country with these people and, and we'll just, you know, we'll have elections and vote. It's like, no, you are, you're in a war between a people that want to totally destroy civilization and, and your society and everything you love and um, what is good and true and beautiful and normal. And somebody has to win. And right now those people are winning, right? That's, that's how you have to understand the, like the fact that there are George Floyd monuments everywhere tells you which side is winning um, mm-hmm. this point. Uh, that's that, that, that I think is, is one of Anton's, you know, best points in this article. Um, but let's, let's continue on. There's, there's, there's way more. There's way we're not even done yet. Oh Yeah. We may tie these points together under the broad rubric of education, though that word is risably inapt to to, uh, what is taught today. The word's root is Latin and means to lead forth, that is, to coax out of imperfect but improvable human nature that which makes each human being better. Or, as the classics understood it, not merely to impart knowledge, but also to form character. In both respects, our system does the opposite. It teaches lies, attacks, and suppresses truth and encourages people to behave worse. It tells children to hate themselves or their classmates because of their race and to hate their country. It encourages boys to declare themselves girls and vice versa. It badgers kids into professing themselves attracted to members of the, of the same sex or of all 63 sexes, regardless of or despite their natural inclination. It firehoses them with sexualized messaging and imagery, always taking care to decouple orgasmic self-indulgence from love and family. The people who run the system, or many of them, can only be described as sadists. How sick does one's mind have to be to think it is a good idea to teach a black kindergartner through the taxpayer-financed public education system, no, no less, to hate his white classmates or those white classmates to hate themselves? A sane society would call this child abuse. Yes, it would. The system now protects predators at the expense of the vulnerable and attacks parents who object. In Virginia, a boy in a skirt entered a girl's bathroom and raped a student. The school in the district hushed it up and transferred him to another school where he did it again. When one victim's father complained at a school board meeting, cops roughed him up and arrested him. The superintendent, principal, and all others in authority furiously denied that any assault had ever taken place. That is, except for the father's impassioned plea, 
which the school board referred to the Attorney General of the United States, who then ordered the FBI and U.S. attorneys to investigate outspoken parents as domestic terrorists. This is not merely insane, but deliberately evil. Uh, the Carthaginians cast living children into furnaces to satiate their false god, Baal. We sacrifice our children's mental health and adult futures to appease our false god, Woki. I'm not going to try to read the Latin. <laughs> no, it's it's French. Uh, uh, plus échange. Uh. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think I read something that I wanted to comment on. Um, so let's see. Which part? Well, I think I think the point about it being purposeful is something that I just keep coming back to. Oh yeah, um, we have to leave behind the idea that this is this natural development of things. I mean, oh, it's just sin. This is what happens with with sin, and it, 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 we lose down here. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. we lose down here. But the, the the point is that this is politically driven, and politically driven things need to be politically responded to. Yeah, um, you know, and so that's that's what I think we need to to learn what is happening right here and and i think it's important because when we interpret all the things that are developing we can't like this father's complaining to the school board and he gets referred to the fbi i mean we have to step back and think about that after his daughter is raped mm -hmm. right like and 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 they deny it and they cover it up and it's like this is this is absolutely atrocious right this is this is as bad as like you have all the libs freak out about um you know, the Catholic church and the sex scandal and all of those things, uh, which, you know, to, to one extent, like to the extent that those things did happen, they're right to, uh, mm -hmm. but they turn a blind eye to this stuff. Right. And it's, and I, I don't say that to be like, Oh, see, they're the hypocrites. <laughs> we got them. It's that this is, this is part of their religion, mm -hmm. right? This is part of their religion. And so it could do no wrong. Mm -hmm. And so this man is a threat right to them. That's why he has to be destroyed. Because he exposes them as false gods, right? Mm -hmm. That that's why you go to the FBI and take them down, right? This is this is part of what they they believe in. Their very core is is good and right, and he, they have to be stopped. Um, and and it's it's so evil, right? That that's the thing. It's so so despicable and so evil that, um, and it isn't like you say. It isn't just. Well, people sin, and this is what happens when people sin. This is this is political, and mm -hmm. it is it's intentional, and it has to be fought at a political level. Mm -hmm. It isn't just, well, you know, we need to preach the gospel more, and then uh, magically this stuff will be fixed, right? That's the typical evangelical line, mm -hmm. right? Is well, what do we do about? It? Well, we just need to preach the gospel. It's like, well, part part of the gospel is Jesus is King, and he he thinks these things are evil. And the people who believe in him should fight to stop them. The other thing that's, too that's is the implication of the gospel is we always forget that God uses means, right? God doesn't always act no. directly, and politics is a means. You know, Absolutely. like like people say, you know, why why didn't Jesus just uh, you know lift up Noah and his family and and save everybody, save them from the flood? Because he uses the means of an ark. Yeah, Noah had to work for years to build that way out. I mean, God uses yeah. these real life struggles and battles to protect his uh to protect his children to get his way and to drive things toward his ends um you know god doesn't always i mean god definitely works the holy spirit definitely works in the heart but he this is also you know he's also a god of history he's also a god of society 
And I think that we need to remember that. I, I don't think American evangelicals have historically been very good on this issue. You know, there's a historical reason for that theologically. But we have to realize that politics is a means through which God accomplishes his will. Yeah. And, and if you if you don't get and, and so much of it, like you say, is it's this individualistic um, theology is really what drives it, where it's like God only cares about individuals, only individuals, individuals, individuals. And if you think that way, like that fits with a, a classically liberal system, mm -hmm. right? That, that that you could operate that way for for decades or centuries. But as soon as that classically liberal system collapses and is changed into something else. It doesn't work that way anymore, mm -hmm. right? You can't you can't just have this hyper focus on the individual against the rest of society, and you see this in the in the Bible, right? God, in you know First Samuel through Second Kings, right? He cares about the entire society as a whole as much as he does individuals within it, mm -hmm. right? And and it's like well, and then you'll have people well that's ancient Israel, we're not Israel, and it's like well, the church is. And, and, and any, any nation that is filled with Christians, um, is a nation he cares about. And, and so he cares about them as a whole, as much as, as he does individuals. And, and you see that you see condemnations of entire nations and judgments against entire nations in the Bible. And it's like, and, and so that's like, when you look at some of the more absurd criticism of Christian nationalism, you see that it's like, well, you know, God doesn't care about individual nation or entire nations. He only cares about individuals. Yeah. And, and it's like, where do you get that from? Right. And because it isn't just the judgments that God brings on nations. Is not just Israel? Right. There are other nations too, like Babylon. You read the book of Jeremiah there, there, there's condemnation of Babylon and of Egypt. And it's like, why is he judging these nations? Well, as a nation, right. Mm -hmm. Why does he judge Canaan as an entire nation and not just, well, what about the individuals that were doing committing you know, idolatry? Why does he want Joshua to go in and kill everybody, including the little kids? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's that's something people have to reckon with, and they don't, especially like within this evangelical mi individualist mindset. It's like, like they don't think about that at all, you know, at, at all. So, well, well, God said to do it, and that's where we leave it, right? But think about the implications of that, right? Yeah. God is judging the entire nation as a whole and saying eradicate them. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, well, he doesn't do that today. He doesn't think that way today. It's like, okay, but he did it one time. So what do you do with that? Yeah. Right. What, how do you, how are we supposed to think about it? It's like, well, God cares about corporate collective structure and he cares about individuals at the same time. And mm -hmm. that's how that should, that should affect our thinking on everything. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, uh, continuing on and he brings he brings up the pre-woke catholic church here in the next in a in a parenthesis uh you want me to read it i'm good <clears throat> okay go ahead we may note in passing that when similar atrocities occurred in the pre-woke catholic church an institution the ruling class feared and despised demands for accountability were de deafening today the only sounds one hears are from establishmentarians and their conservative incorporated enablers this isn't happening it's a cultural war trope ginned up by the MAGA racists, and anyway, it's no big deal, so lighten up. The most prevalent failures of education in history, it is widely accepted, have stemmed from a lack of it, failing to teach the poor basic, the poor basic skills such as reading and writing, or even deliberately depriving them of such learning. 
Now we have come full circle, but worse. We barely teach kids to read, write, or add anymore. Indeed, the most progressive corners of the education system denounce such emphasis on standards and core knowledge as white supremacist. That's not, a, that's not an exaggeration. Like They literally do. Yes. They literally call uh, reading proficiency and math proficiency white supremacy. Right. It, and like you see, you see these things like people take, you know, surreptitious pictures, yeah. and conferences, and it's like they, they really are saying this. Yeah, exactly. There's ample historical precedent for widespread illiteracy, but for teaching one's own citizens self-hatred, degeneracy and despondency without teaching them to read and write. Barbarians at the gates. The typical tyrant enjoys wealth and power, which are easier to extract from a productive populace than from zombies. He therefore typically does not prioritize degrading his population beyond measures necessary to produce obedience. The serial humiliations inflicted on our people by its ruling class, not all of which, to say the least, generate profits, appear to be another element of contemporary life without historical precedent. Crime is a case in point. No society, whether free or despotic, benefits from crime, all else being equal. Though it's certainly true that a tyrant can find it useful to exempt his own partisans from criminal enforcement and even to encourage them to tyrannize his enemies. That's anarcho-tyranny, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> criminals being criminals, this is a hard dynamic to keep from spinning out of control. In 2020, for instance, the ruling class unleashed BLM hordes and Antifa predators, plus assorted rioters and looters to despoil and burn some 220 American cities. Sacking was not an uncommon was not uncommon in the ancient world. Rome was sacked many times, but always by foreigners, never at the instigation of her leading citizens. The Senate never riled up the plebes to scorch the Capitoline. Yet in the summer of 2020, our ruling class actively encouraged through state-aligned media the repeated sacking of Manhattan, the very beating heart of the Davos Archipelago, where our richest and most powerful overlords live and work. They fired up mobs to trash huge swaths of Washington, D.C., their cherished imperial capital, which to this day has yet to recover. Why did they do that? Was there some nefarious plan to derive benefit that I don't understand? Or was this an instance of losing control of the shock troops? Either way, the events were unprecedented. Then there are the related issues of technology and our fake economy. These subjects are far too large to explore here and so must be treated uh, cursorily. Let us merely say that modern digital technology is unlike any previous advance in human history. It threatens not only to become man's master and destroyer, other technologies have also threatened that, but also to remake his very soul or kill it. Yeah. The modern economy that technology enables is similarly anti-human. It deprives billions of the dignity of meaningful work at fair remuneration, while it enriches a tiny minority adept at manipulating bits and bytes to no discernible purpose or benefit. The world has had to endure oligarchs for millennia, but our empty plutocrats create nothing but new ways to waste time and enervate uh, the spirit. They are like the technologies that make them rich and powerful, an entirely new phenomenon. <clears throat> Finally, there is the endless insistence that every new dawn must begin a fresh year zero. We must start continually anew. What was acceptable yesterday is anathema today and will be more so tomorrow. All that came before must be swept aside and destroyed with extreme prejudice on a rolling basis. The most ferocious revolutionaries of yesteryear didn't do this. The Jacobins changed the calendar and guillotined a lot of nobles, but otherwise allowed France to remain French. The Bolsheviks did not touch the Russian literary or concert canons. To the contrary, they celebrated both. 
Mao made an attempt to start over until the more sensible party bosses realized that the old man, and especially his wife, had lost their minds and were destroying China, sidelined him, and quietly put an end to the Cultural Revolution four years before formally declaring mission accomplished. The Ayatollah did not ban Nowruz uh, or other cornerstones of Persian tradition beloved by the Iranian people, but which predated his puritanical vision of Islam. Uh, this is a good point. Like I, we always we always draw analogies to the Jacobins and to the Bolsheviks and stuff. Mm -hmm. But literally, our own leadership are destroying our heritage. I mean, the Jacobins, for all their problems, they were seeking the benefit of France and the French people, right? Yeah. Um, America, the American elite or the international elite, if you want to call it that, they hate America. They hate everything it stands for. They hate its history. They hate its cultural uh, cornerstones. So yeah, they they want to destroy it completely. And, mm -hmm. and to make it cease to exist. Right. Yeah. All right. A couple more paragraphs. Our overlords, by contrast, insist on changing everything and will not stop until everything familiar is gone. When this is pointed out, they smirk about the slippery slope fallacy and gleefully lie. That will never happen, they say, until they insist on it. And once accomplished, move on to the next target. They are cultural locusts devouring everything in their path. If the internal logic, if one may use that word in this context, of their passionate hatred is allowed to play out, no statue can be left standing, no traditional holiday observed, no name unchanged. If that outcome does not come to pass, it will not be because those driving toward it have a change of heart, nor is it likely to be because the right suddenly becomes effective in opposition. It will rather be because the locusts destroy too many of the country's remaining functioning parts too soon, causing the system to collapse before their program is complete, thereby making further progress impossible. Progress. Any one of the above elements would appear to be unprecedented. Just a few in combination surely are, but all of them together? How, therefore, can anyone be confident that he knows what is going to happen, whether immediate collapse, drawn-out decline, or centuries of tyranny? Final part, the end. The end. If forced to bet, I would have to place my chips somewhere between imminent collapse and drawn out decline. <laughs> That's a large uh, spectrum. It is. Yeah. I, uh, I occasionally read theories of triple bank shots and fourth and four dimensional chess. They really know what they're doing, only to marvel. Our regime cannot at present unload a cargo ship stock a store shelf, run a clean ele uh, election, handle parental complaints at a school board meeting, pass a budget bill, retreat, uh, treat a cold variant, keep order in the streets, defeat a third world country, or even evacuate said country cleanly. And that's to say nothing at all of all the things it should be doing, that all non-joke countries do, that it refuses to do. If our ruling class has a plan, it would seem to be to destroy the society and institutions from which they at present are the largest. One is tempted to say only beneficiaries. Do they think they can benefit more from the wreckage, or are they driven by hatreds that blind them to self-interest? Perhaps they're simply insane. Whatever the case, couple all this unprecedentedness with all this incompetence, and going long on woke America seems a sucker bet. But to end where we began, the very unprecedentedness of our situation means that all bets are off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's the million dollar question. I mean, do they do they have a game plan? Do they have an end game? Are they are they working towards something, or are they just in complete blind zeal about their destruction? I think. I mean, I think it's both. I mean, I think they they want to remake society into this idealized vision of this globalist community, right? Where America is fully this economic zone, um, but 
it is the difficulty is the shock troops that they have and the insanity that they unleash um is you know is is eating through the seed corn mm-hmm. right they're they're not going to be able to sustain the this world for, i mean it's it's you see this when people talk about like uh catabolic collapse and and the the collapse of complex societies and complex systems that that our and, and you see it somewhat re- revealed um during 2020 that right if you have just a minor disruption and that that largely was i mean it was a major disruption to our society to be sure but like economically in terms of the system it it wasn't this major shock to the system right you didn't have you didn't have tens of millions of people dying from the plague you had a, a very relatively compared to past events like the bubonic plague Right, a very relatively small number of, of casualties. Uh, you had, of course, the lockdowns were were incredibly disruptive, um, but it it wasn't more disruptive than, say, like a world war. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't more disruptive than than any of the things that the United States went through in the 20th century um, or throughout its history, like the Civil War. Um, and so you you have this incredibly complex system that requires extremely fine tuned things. And and like, you see this, like the entire industrial production of the country or, or or really the world, uh, all the shipping that's required and, and, and things like if you have just one thing go wrong in the entire chain that messes everything up and it messes everything up in this like overarching framework that's connected to it. Like if one, one component that's used in 10,000 different things isn't there, then all of a sudden now you don't have cars and you don't have, you don't have computers and you don't have, you know, all the, if it, like the microchips aren't there and, and Taiwan gets invaded, right? Like then, then boom, that's done and gone. And you, you just don't have it anymore. You don't have the capacity to, to bootstrap the industrial production domestically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of the nature of this, the, the complex system, right? The more chaos you introduce to it intentionally um, through like, especially like diversity initiatives, where you intentionally hire people who are less competent, um, there's going to be a, a, a downstream effect from that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think like, you're not going to be able to sustain this for centuries. I don't think. Um, and, and then you couple that with like the birth rates, you know, the, the fact that the population is not replacing itself. So even if you, even if you import a hundred million third world people to replace the people that are not being born, um, those are not the same people with the, the same ability level. And you're, you're not going to be able to have this technological society that, that you once enjoyed. Uh, so like the wealth and the prosperity that they've enjoyed for the last you know 80 years is in, is in steep decline already. And they're not going to be able to maintain it. And so just from like that standpoint alone, um, and then that that's without saying, the political instability that results from all of the disorder, mm-hmm. right? At, at, at a certain point, even a people that are so pacified and, and so propagandized like ours, I mean, that's, that's something that he doesn't really get into, but that's also something unprecedented is the level and sophistication of the propaganda mm-hmm. that, that people are, are under. I mean, even just like, I, I noticed this with like the Ukraine war where you have, like any, anyone over the age of 50 or most people over the age of 50, no matter what you tell them, no matter what details and facts you give them about the situation, about how Obama overthrew the, the government of Ukraine 
in 2014 and that these countries to the or these um uh, provinces to the east that are you know largely ethnic russian said we're not being part of a fake government we're going to secede mm-hmm. and then the ukrainian army bombed the, their villages for eight years and russia finally had enough with it once ukraine says signals they're going to move into nato mm-hmm. right if you 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 identify the geopolitical dynamics of the situation and show how the process of how it got to where it is and that there is you know some semblance of a case for why why russia does it um they it, it falls on deaf ears they cannot hear it right they just think russia bad they're communists and they're going to remake the soviet union and like <clears throat> all of a sudden they all the propaganda they heard from from their birth onward is activated mm-hmm. and they they are incapable of listening to any type of of rational argument and so like i i think you know going forward just even to 2024 I don't know if you saw the CJ, but like the the British um, the British Navy has signaled that they're going to start operations in the Black Sea to protect shipping and potentially engage the Russians. And so, like, we're tiptoeing to you know NATO countries actively being involved in the war. And if I'm thinking, okay, you know, 2016 they they did the the Russia hoax. 2020 they did all the things that they did all the fortification and so forth the covid and blm and everything else what's going to be the thing for 2024 that they do right, right. um and and right. so like jake jake paquette brought this up on on twitter um the uh he ran for senate in uh in arkansas and and was a you know former um uh, NFL player uh for the new england patriots he uh is a great guy a good follow on 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 twitter he um he says that he thinks there's going to be boots on the ground in Ukraine sometime in 2024. And I have a hard time disagreeing with, with that prognostication. Yeah. Because like, it's one of the, we're in one of those situations where if we're not constantly expanding, then we're, everything collapses. Mm-hmm. So they have exactly. to do that to maintain. Yeah. It's, and, um, and what happens is you remember, like we were both in high school at the time, but you remember like 2003, like if you like looking back on it, the Iraq war makes absolutely no sense. Like if you look at it objectively with like 20 years of history behind you, it makes zero sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but every, every patriotic flag waving American, as soon as their, their soldiers, right. Our, our boys, our troops are going off to war, right. You were enthusiastically a hundred percent behind them, no matter mm-hmm. what. And so as soon as you start putting American troops on the ground in Ukraine, Everybody, you know, even even all the mega people who are, you know, somewhat skeptical, like they they know about Burisma and Biden and all the corruption and things out of Ukraine, and they don't like that hundreds of billions of dollars are going over there. Um, as soon as you send American troops there, all of the same people that have skepticism about it that mm-hmm. goes out the window. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the same thing that happened during World War II, right? So the entire America First Committee, all the people were like, "Keep us out of war! Keep us out of war! No, we don't want it." Right. All of a sudden now we're at war and their 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 sons are going off to war and they have no choice but to be enthusiastically in support of their country. Yeah. I mean, once you're in, you got to win or you're dead. <laughs> so, yeah. And and so like they I think that's the switch that they'll pull if they feel like they have to. Mm-hmm. Right. It isn't it isn't like, oh, we're going to swap Biden out with uh, Gavin Newsom or whatever. Um, I mean, that maybe is a thing they'll do or or Michelle Obama um like the, maybe they'll do that um 
but the bigger thing is like how do they how do they secure power for themselves and this is something tried and true that they've always done is well we have a tenuous grasp on power we're going to go to war mm-hmm. and and it's right there sitting that sitting there for them to go do and so they'll concoct some type of uh, justification for it that mm-hmm. seems semi plausible right oh the russians attacked thus and such and we're now we're going to go um and, and and so i think that you know that is something very likely that's going to happen and then it's like all bets are off there right um mm-hmm. because the the war um has been fairly limited from the russian perspective like they haven't thrown their entire force at it um mm-hmm. which i mean uh also uh, it doesn't make sense from like the boomer con perspective that they're trying to remake the Soviet union, because if they were, they would be, they would be pushing all the way to Kiev, but mm-hmm. they're right now, they are trying to just hold the territory that, that they initially intended on, on taking. Yeah. And, and so it does that. It, it makes like, it makes the case much more plausible, but um, if, if they, if war happened, they would, they would have to send everything. Yeah. Right? They would have to, deploy their entire country right their entire military strength um in order to, to do it and and the thing is like uh the people are like oh well if we get in a major war we're not going to win because the military is woke and it's it's such a joke um i don't i don't think that i know I, I don't either i think i think they i think it's a calculation it's a demoralization demoralization thing to do the whole woke army thing but they have the technology they don't need the people they have the technology and the pe- and they they have the people too. Like the combat units are made up of of like the best young men in America, right? They still are, right? The the ones that actually go into combat. Yeah, um, that's, what, that's what I mean. Like the the recruiting stuff. It's it's all demoralization, humiliation stuff. But they're not. See, yeah, like James White. People like to say this all the time that we'll lose in thirty seconds if if this army goes to war. That's not the army going to war. No, that's those are people that like you know, work in administrative jobs. Yeah. Right. You yeah, can, so you can have like the social media people. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can have, or, or even like mechanics and stuff, right. Not the people that are carrying rifles off mm-hmm. to the battlefield. Like those are the same people that have always been. Yeah. And what will happen is if there, if there is a war they're they're going, they've already signaled this too. Like the war college talked about uh, in, in the context of China, if there's an invasion of Taiwan, right. That they would lose 3,600 men a day. Mm-hmm. And and th- they couldn't sustain losses like that without a draft, and so the the likelihood, like if there is America, if there are American troops on the ground in Ukraine, there's going to be a draft. Like there's no way around that. They're going to have to do that. And so then you're going to be pulling from right. I I uh, every every Friday I I do uh, I we're do too the, old now right. I know. Oh well, yeah, we're <laughs> too old. Uh, and my kids are too young. Think yeah, think the Lord. Um, but every Friday. Um, I, you know, I go, uh, do a chain game for high school football. And so I see all the you know, 17, 18 year old guys, you know, the best, the best that America has to offer. And, and I, and I'm like, and I, I, sometimes I think like, these are the guys that when they draft, they're the, those are the ones they're going to take like one, those yeah. are the ones only in, in like physical shape to be able to do it. So all of the, all the high school football players across the country, those are going to be the ones that get, get nabbed mm-hmm. and get sent off to. Uh, Eastern Europe to go get chewed up, yeah. And for the gay disco, yeah, exactly, <clears throat> exactly. And 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 so I think I th- I think you know if we're doing prognostications, right? And and certainly I hope you know somebody goes back to this episode a year from now, and it's like, oh, Isker was wrong. 
no one would be more happy than me to be wrong <laughs> about this. Like this is this is one place where I'm like, yep, totally happy to be wrong. You got me. I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but I, I I fear that this is is very likely the the result is going to take. And and if that happens, I mean, who knows? I I don't think. I mean, people freak out about like nuclear war. I don't think that that is um um a very high possibility, but it's not a zero possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not nothing, especially if, if they engage in this, in, in a war with Russia and begin to like, because they're not going to just stop at the Donbass and say, all right, we, we recovered the territory, the sovereign territory of Ukraine and, and secured freedom. Uh, they're going to push all the way to, to Moscow. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they will. And, and like you threaten this country that way, what are they going to do? I mean, China will get involved. I mean, this whole, yeah, the whole yeah. thing will blow up. So, I mean, it would be a world world war. Like they would invade Taiwan for sure mm-hmm. because America's engaged uh, in, in Eastern Europe. So it's, it's, it's terrifying. And then, and, and the thing is like, once you get, go into war measures, then um, like the kind of stuff right now, like there was just this report that the FBI is like investigating mega people for terrorism. Like they're the big terrorist threat is the mega, pe- which we, we've known that they, this is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so they can concoct any rationale to lock people up. If you're at war, anyone on the right, who's dissenting and saying this war needs to stop, this is bad, you know, dodge the draft, all that kind of stuff. They'll, they'll put you in jail for sedition, mm-hmm. right? They, there will be, I mean, maybe they won't call it that they'll c- concoct some, you know, legal strategy to be able to, but they will, they'll be actively uh, doing domestic operations against anyone on the right. Um, and so the police state will be ramped up to an eleven. And, um, and, you know, when they're, when, when you're at war, there are all sorts of war measures. They could say, well, for our own safety, we're going to lock everyone down and you all have to be at home. Like they could do lockdowns again. They've already done it. Mm -hmm. Right. So every, every kind of tyranny that we've already seen in the last three years, I think conservatives, I think conservatives would more easily fall for those types of military lockdowns than they did COVID. Yeah. They're not going to, they're not going to get fooled again by, by COVID for sure. Right. Uh, so they're not going to do that one again, but they absolutely they'll do whatever they can and whatever they want to do if if it, the country's at war. Yeah. And so I think that that seems like the most likely play. Um, and then all bets are off. And and who knows if 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 the, the, it doesn't go well. <laughs> right. So imagine it, it not going well and Russia holds its own. And like you could you could see a collapse mm-hmm. in, in that scenario. Right. You could see, and you could see people um, react to the kind of tyranny that they they would bring about. Do you think um, do you think we only have like five more minutes, but do you think the American regime recognizes its own fragility? That's the hard part. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I because, think so. I mean, th- th- they're going they're going around in like uh, they, they what did they execute two uh, elderly men uh, for Facebook posts last mm-hmm. month? Mm-hmm. Right, they're going around doing that kind of stuff. Like, but think, do you think, think it? Rec- do you think they recognizes recognize that if confronting the East militarily, um, like any any mistake in like the American capital economy is done? <laughs> I don't. Do you think they recognize that? That's I don't scary, know. That's the scary I part, and I, and I guess that's part of what um, what Anton's asking. <laughs> Are they aware? You know. I, I think, I, I don't know that I think there is, I mean, on one hand, like there is this incredible amount of hubris 
um, around these people. Like they think they own the world and they can do no wrong. But I, I, at the same time, I don't think they own, understand their own weakness. Right. I think they think if they get through this, if they take down Russia, if they, you know, if they um, push back again, contain China, then they can maintain a hegemony over the world forever. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's their, their line of thought. And um, that's a dangerous play. Like it's, it is extremely fragile. I don't, it's, I don't, I don't see... know if they afford it. I don't think that they, they can pay. How could they pay for a world war at this well, point? They, they can't pay. I mean that, yeah, they, they can't pay for it, but I think um, that's a, that's a really stupid move because like the entire culture of Washington is um, has extremely high tie preferences Whereas oh, yeah. China, China has extremely low time preferences, so yeah, um, I don't think I don't think we could defeat them on that front. I, I don't think so either. I mean, I, I think it is. Um, I, that's that's where I go back to, like with Anton that and and Charles Haywood that the regime could collapse inwardly on on its mm-hmm. own, um, and and I, I think it, it it very well could. And, and so I think what's incumbent upon us is to remain, you know, this vanguard and, uh, of, of rightism and of the American, I mean, some of the stuff we talk about with, with Lafayette Lee, you know, um, re- retaining this, this love of our, our, of our actual culture, our actual country, our actual heritage and, and keeping it alive for our posterity. Um, if we're able to do those things through the midst of all of it, then, then we'll, we'll come out. Okay. No matter what happens in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, I think the future looks grim for the regime. If I like, like with Anton, if I had to put money on it, right. And, and we kind of are like, we're, we're, play, we're betting our lives on, on what's going to happen and, and what direction we take, what things that we do, like, why do we do the podcast? Why do we, you know, write online? Why do we do all the stuff that we do? Um, it's because I, I have a hope for our people, for our country, um, beyond, beyond our lifetimes mm-hmm. and and i think our our people will survive and and lord willing prosper uh into the future uh but right now it's it's grim right now it's not good right now it it, it is this oppressive evil regime that rules over us that that you know god willing will he'll remove uh he'll he'll get rid of them so i don't know what do you think what, what do you what do you think on that question of of the missteps that they could take and the, the hubris that they have. I think they're completely blind to their own weaknesses. Yeah. I think they're so zealous. I think they're so prideful. I think sort of the course of history shows that when empires get to in the place where America is, they think they can get away with anything, yeah. you know, like, um, yeah, I, I think that they, I think that they have a complete miscalculation of their own, uh, you know, st- uh, that they think that they're arguing or, pursuing policy or international policy from a position of strength. I think a good demonstration of this is the diplomats working in Hungary. Oh yeah. Like there's just, there's, yeah, there's absolutely no recognition that the world is turning against America. It's haughty. It's blind uh, to its own um, disgusting nature. And I think that that's sort of the course of history. And I, and I don't think it could, I, I don't think it could, I think it's really weak. I think one misstep and everything falls apart for them. Yeah. Um, for sure. Well, to that, end, that, we can hope. Yeah. That, that only means imminent collapse, though, if they actually engage in something, yeah. you know, so like if they make if they make that misstep, they're done. 
they can't win it. But I think the pressure of the domestic political situation is is on them, though. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's that if if something's going to force their hand to committing a misstep, that would be it. It's like, well, we have to do this or, you know, somehow Trump could get get in. Right. That that I think drives a lot of the things that they do. Mm -hmm. And so it, it they might have to push that button. Right. I think that's that's like I mean, you, and you see this with like right now. I mean, even even with the 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 vacating the chair of the speaker. Right. We didn't even talk. <laughs> we've gone an hour and 15 minutes. We haven't talked about that this week. And that's the big news. Yeah. <clears throat> like the first time that's uh, has that ever happened. I think um, uh, they did the chair. I think I mean, it's so happened once in like the 19th century. Yeah. Yeah. Like after the Civil War or something like it, it, This is the thing that doesn't happen. And it's and these all these people are freaking out. Like, I don't know if you saw the video of Chip Roy just chimping out. Uh, just, ah, these people and he's like cursing and everything. And it's like, what on earth? You know, like he is he's going nuts. Like he's going to start flinging poo. And and it's and it's like and he's supposed to be this like staunch conservative. You know, it's like I fought for our, I'm fighting for our country and uh, the guys that died in Normandy and blah, blah, blah. And it's like. This <laughs> is a speaker of the house who is a joke, who is terrible and who went along with virtually everything Joe Biden wanted yep. and betrayed the promises that he made in order to get elected speaker. Yep. And he's finally being held accountable. Someone in Washington, D.C. is being held accountable and all of you are losing your minds. And the reason they're losing their minds is because, right, there could be a government shutdown and Ukraine will stop you know, uh, getting billions and billillions of dollars, billions of aid. Oh, um, no. That's what, that's what, that's why they're losing their minds over it because yeah. they're the entire regime has committed itself to this conflict and it could be over if they, if they don't pass a, a budget. And so yeah. that's why they're, they're going nuts over it because there's no, there's no speaker of the house and there's no, um, there, the prospect of a shutdown is, is, is very likely. And, and like the Ukraine war could end before they get a chance to do all the stuff we just talked about. Um, if they, if they don't have any money. Mm -hmm. And so like that, I think is, 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 is really, is really something like, you know, it, it like stuff like this reveals what these people are, mm -hmm. right. It reveals their priorities and what they care about. And, and you see this, like I saw, you know, Mark Levin is freaking out about it on Twitter and is, is getting ratioed to oblivion about it. Um, like all of the people that listen to him are like, no, no, McCarthy had to go. Like Gates is the only one fighting for us. Yeah. What are you, what, what is, what's wrong with you? And, and, and it's like, no, we need that. They voted with the Democrats. It's like, you don't have a problem voting with the Democrats to give billions to Ukraine. You know, you voted with every single Democrat. Well, you did, they did too. Right. But, but one lousy speaker gets kicked out and now it's the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Right. It's insane. It's nuts, but it, it, it reveals just like you said, how haughty and, and hubristic these these people are. And and the, the domestic politics, I think, is is forcing them to escalate. Yeah. In, in different ways. It's forcing them because the, the people are not uh, putting up with it and they're not putting up with it because like everybody sees how much stuff costs, how much gas costs, how much food costs, how much housing costs. And they it's putting pressure on, on the people. Like, why is Trump leading Biden in the polls? Which, you know, I don't know if that like ever had like the lead that he's had in so many of these polls ever happened in 2020. I think it was always very close. Mm -hmm. And like, there was one poll that had him like 10 points ahead. Yeah. And it's like, 
Um, and that's and, and supposedly you're supposed to think that he has such a high unfavorability rating, and it's like I don't yeah. care if I don't like the guy, I want to be able to afford to live. Uh, that's, that's how people think, because when you put it, when, when it, it's, when the rubber meets the road, people want, people want to be able to live and survive and, and, and have money. And it's so like the pocketbook is always the thing that drives a lot of this stuff. And that's what's, I mean, that's what's driving it, uh, is, is just the cold, brutal realities of our economic situation. Yeah. And people are fed up. And, and so I don't think like, so if you have that and it's not like they can just get rid of the people. Right. It's not like they can get rid of 80 million Americans. They want to. They could try. Yeah. Uh, but there's 80 million Americans that are sick of it. And that's putting pressure on domestic politics that's forcing them to do crazier and crazier stuff internationally and, and domestically. So that that I think is 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 something, you know, in this whole equation as well. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And that's uh, things are coming to a head. And I think I think this this late fall and winter could get interesting, but Nothing Absolutely. ever, nothing ever happens. <laughs> so until it, until it does. Until it does. All right. Until it does. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, good conversation. We didn't even get to the Twitter thread. We should do a special episode on the Matt Gates thing and the Twitter thread. Yeah, we should. Maybe, maybe we will after the weekend. Maybe we'll or early, early next week. We'll maybe do we a will. bonus, a bonus episode for premium subscribers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Andrew. All right, that's that's great. Well, do you have anything that uh, you want people to check out? No new articles yet. No, no new articles. Okay. Uh, yeah. hope, hopefully soon. I, allegedly, I have time, but things keep coming up. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll nothing see. new. Follow me on Twitter. That's it. All right. Yeah. Fo- follow me on, on on Twitter and Gab and Gab News as well. And um, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the conversation, uh, please share this with with friends, with other people. Uh, like and, and subscribe, of course. If you aren't already, you know the, the subscribing uh, really helps. Leave reviews, leave comments. Uh, comments also help drive traffic. So, if you uh, if you if you like what CJ has to say, or if uh, uh, you you know you like uh, any of the points we make, or if you think if we're if you think we're completely crazy, and uh, or if you hate this Anton article, <laughs> let us know uh, because the comments are always good. I try to engage with them, um, and and you know it, it helps helps us know what what all of you think. So anyway, um, have a wonderful week. Stay dangerous, and we will see you next time.